0: Receive something in the mail with a packet that had opportunities for you to, to share how you're planning on living a life of stewardship. And over the next couple of weeks, we invite you to to bring uh, the element that, from that packet that we'll be uh, utilizing in our worship to be able to, to be able to share how you're planning on living your life of stewardship. Um, this morning, we're me looking. Had a passage talking about baptism. For me, baptism is one of my favorite things because there are typically moments that seem really, really delicate. You know, you have a, a year and a half old, and there's no rehearsing for this thing. You know, you have no clue what's going to happen. Last week we had a baptism in the 8:15 service, and uh, the child, right as she was being baptized, decided just to do this the whole time. Uh, For me, one of of my favorite baptisms I did was, uh, before I was a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, a friend of mine asked me to baptize her here in Austin, and uh, so uh, she invited friends and family to gather together at Redbud Isle, which is, you know, over there by Hula Hut. It's a great place, a lot of people around there. So she decided, well, let's just have it there, and so we gathered everyone at the bank, and we were talking about, you know, Courtney's decision and baptism, that type of thing, and for the first time, we kind of stepped out in the water, and I was kind of imagining stepping about four or five feet, and then being about waist deep in water. And it was shallow, and shallow, and shallow. And I remember having to be like somewhat from here to the doors, where we're actually waist deep. So, but I want to be heard. So now I'm yelling at everyone about this moment of baptism. And if it couldn't get even worse, um, I hear. Just out of, out of the corner of, my, uh, corner of my eyes, I see this, and I, and I hear a k-dunk, and I see a tennis ball starting to bob, and all of a sudden, all these dogs start paddling over it. You know, it's just a, such a holy moment, you know? <laughs> Baptisms are, are such a unique act, and it's so full and rich. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism as we begin to Think about the power of the blessing of baptism, as we consider also our own baptism. Before going to do this, we need to understand uh, as we jump into this passage uh, that Matthew, like many of the gospels, was written for a specific audience, a specific purpose. It was Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and we're going to see how that's going to shape itself and why he wrote what he wrote. This morning. John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter three, we're looking, starting in verse thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to to, to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus said, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Our deepest prayer, Father, is that we would be able to hear from you. You know our hearts and our minds, you know where we are, what we need to so speak to us, we pray. Amen. So as we look in, at Matthew's account of the gospel, this is the first time that Jesus actually merges onto the scene. Uh, when, you, when you read through this account, Jesus, up to this point, was a baby. He was uh, visited by the Magi. He was threatened, uh, so he and his family went off to Egypt. And then uh, for about 30 years, I mean, we we've, we've, haven't seen Jesus really in action. And it's in this scene where Jesus finally steps onto the stage. So if you're, if you're hearing the story of Jesus for the very first time, this is the moment where you'd kind of lean forward and you'd wonder, who is this Jesus really? What is this Jesus going to be about? And so this first scene is going to be incredibly important to paint the picture of who this Christ was going to be. And for some reason, Jesus decided to be baptized. That was going to be the initiation of the kingdom of God. For a Jewish reader, this would be incredibly confusing. We see that John is confused by this. Jesus was shown... Uh, John was shown by God that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. And just earlier, he had been proclaiming about who Jesus was going to be. I want you to just notice the juxtaposition between John's version of what Jesus was going to do and this meek Jesus who is baptized. John had just got done saying, and this is in in verse 11, "...I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry." And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John is kind of teeing up this power and mighty uh, entrance of Jesus. And then Jesus enters into something completely unexpected. This was surprising because baptism at this time was, uh, it was an action of within the purity codes. People were baptized as to be made pure, oftentimes before sitting down in fellowship or entering the temple. They would wash themselves. This wasn't merely for hygiene, but this was also almost an act of confession, of need of God to make them clean and whole again. So Jesus steps into this posture of baptism. And even John, I mean, he had been baptizing people for repentance. And then Jesus steps in. This is a bizarre entrance. And John, obviously, he says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Imagine John almost like a a magician whispering to his assistant, this isn't how it's supposed to go. (laughs) But we see from the beginning, Jesus emerges as the unexpected Messiah. Jesus says in verse 15, Let it be so now it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. I can't overstate how powerful this small phrase is to fulfill all righteousness. This is the sign of the gospel that Jesus was bringing. Fulfilling righteousness in that time meant living a life according to the Torah, according to the law. So people, when, if they were called righteous, meant they, just, they didn't break any of the laws. They didn't break any of the rules. They abstained from what they needed to abstain and they did what they needed to do. Righteousness was built around that. It was about a performance. There's no people who were more righteous than the Pharisees. But Jesus brought about a new type of righteousness. Righteousness was not about having a report card and when you messed up, going into the waters of repentance and asking for forgiveness. Righteousness is about living a life with God, focused on the Father, in obedience to the Father. Between those two, we naturally would say, which would we prefer, a life based on the rules or a life just based on listening and being spiritually attentive and saying yes to God? We all, probably all of us would say, I would prefer that one. But the reality is in our human condition, we love being given rules of when we know when we're right, when we know when we're wrong. And it's honestly a lot harder to dis- discern the will of God in our life. It's a lot harder to, to listen to God and to be present in this moment. God, what do you want me to do? Oftentimes we just default to, I don't want to pay attention to you. I want, Just give me the rules. Just give me the list. But that undercuts a true relationship with the Father. If my relationship with Dylan was merely based on what she picked up that she knew I wanted her to do, all right, brush her teeth, clean up her toys and all this stuff, but never like be it, Fully like engaged with me, present with me, I wouldn't be that wouldn't be the type of relationship I would long for with my daughter. Same as with the Lord. A life based on the rules and righteousness based on our our performance is missing one thing. It's purely self-focused. And oftentimes it's other focused, what I'm doing and what you're not doing. But this type of gospel, this type of righteousness is father-centered, it's gospel-centered, it's God-centered. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be today? This sheds light to later on in, in the Beatitudes uh, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not, certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is the righteousness that you're pursuing, the righteousness that you are, are basing your religion on is missing the mark because the mark is the Father about living in right relationship with God. So God's redemptive plan was initiated in Jesus as we see the example of someone who lived, yes, to the will of God. It started with baptism, and it ended on the cross. And so Jesus goes into the water, and in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. The symbol of a dove was a powerful symbol for the people who originally were hearing this. The dove was used in purification. If, if you did something wrong, you had to make it right, you would sacrifice a dove. Just like we heard of Mary uh, being made pure after giving birth to Jesus a couple weeks ago. She sacrificed two doves. But the dove is also a beautiful symbol from the Old Testament story. Noah, when, uh, when Noah, when he was seeking to find out if indeed land was there, he sent out a dove, and the dove returned with a branch in its mouth. The dove was a symbol of hope. The time of waiting was over, that a new creation was emerging. And we see in this moment as Jesus came out of the water, that the dove of the Holy Spirit was falling upon Jesus, declaring that a new kingdom was happening. The hope was here. A new way was being formed. This is powerful for us, but even more powerful for someone of the Jewish tradition in Isaiah 42. This is something that for someone who knew, uh, knew the Old Testament, they would know this passage. Isaiah 42, listen to this. If you don't know this passage, read the whole chapter this week and you'll see Jesus in a new light. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament, Isaiah 42. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, My chosen one in whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. This is a beautiful passage that that would be a clear connection, but a prophecy of old into this very scene that Jesus was the chosen servant in whom God delighted in. And the spirit was upon Jesus, and he was going to bring about justice for the whole nation's. The important thing is, remember, this is at the very beginning of the gospel narrative. This sets the stage for the rest of the story. For the rest of the story, any time that someone who is Jewish would read this, they would ask this question in their mind. By what authority is Jesus saying these things? By what authority is Jesus doing these things? And they would think back to this moment. The authority was given by the Father, told many, many, many years ago. This Jesus was God's servant whom he upheld and whom he loved. So what does this mean for you and I? Does the baptism merely affect Jesus or is there more? There's a lot I could say about the power of blessing, about the power of blessing of fathers, that fathers when you bless and mothers when you bless your children, it's powerful. My dad, he blessed me. I love him for it. Uh, I'm not going to look over there because the faucets turn on and... As as, they don't turn off. Um, but there's so many things I could say here. But this week, I saw this passage in a new and beautiful way. Something I hadn't seen before. What Jesus was doing here, it came to life of me like I, I hadn't seen before. Why did Jesus indeed step into the waters? Jesus was God's son, but he was also Emmanuel. That by stepping into the waters of repentance, not only was he receiving this blessing in this moment, but he was doing something for you, and he was doing something for me. The word Jordan, the Jordan River, the actual word Jordan means to descend, to go down. In this moment, we see how Jesus went down further and further and further into the human experience. We see how Jesus was not going to be a Messiah who's going to take over John's place and just calling people to be different and try harder and be more pure. The salvation that Jesus was going to bring was that he was going to step into the human experience and be identified with sinners like you and I so that we could have a new sense of hope that Emmanuel in the water grabs a hold of me and grabs a hold of you. The same blessing in which Jesus received from the Father on that day is given to you and it's given to I. It is, it's in the waters of repentance that Jesus claims us. Calls us his own. and We're set free. This blessing is now extended to us. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and through 16. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For we did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, of daughtership. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. That this, As the dove descended upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends upon you. And as deeply as Jesus descended into the human experience, God's Spirit descends into you, the very core of who you are. Your soul is now made resonance with the Holy Spirit. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we indeed are God's children. The purpose of this baptism is so that we would be able to experience this blessing that God is going to make a home within us. And this, this blessing that Jesus received of being called a beloved child of God. For those of us who are in Christ, that is the deepest part of you. It's the deepest part of me. There's no role that will play in this world that is more core to who you are. And the reason why is because the power and the might of Jesus' love that descended into the depths of the human experience has now taken up residence in you And the same spirit testifies within you, you are beloved. You are beloved. You are beloved. All the different voices in this world and the voices within our minds that try to fight that, Jesus' love is powerful and it claims you again and again. You are God's beloved child. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. You're God's beloved child. This is the gift of baptism. It's a spectacle of God's love, and you're the recipient. And as a new creation, may we, in the spirit of gratitude, just begin to live into this identity more and more. May we receive the power of baptism in our life. May we emerge from this water anew, full of God's spirit, living a new way of righteousness. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love We thank you that your love compelled you to leave the comforts and to descend into the human experience so that we might be free, we might be made whole. I pray, God, you'd give us the power and the wisdom to be able to live in that experience more and more. Set us free, holy God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.